on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to Lake Kick is live. Yeah, it's Thursday, June 30th, year of our Lord, 2022. We are not high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We're in sunny Southern California. As it turns out, Los Angeles, the place to be. We're going to talk about the Big Ten bombshell, USC, UCLA, maybe more in the future. Who in the world knows anymore? Headed to the Big Ten. You know how rare it is to have guests on the show. We would not roll out the red carpet for just anyone, but momentarily Brady Quinn will join us because, quite frankly, we have a lot to break down, and I don't even know if I have enough to say on this. We're also going to dive into the Late Kick inbox. We saw Elite 11 today. I was going to talk a lot about that, but plans changed, obviously. Happy to have you with us. We are on the precipice of 100,000 subs on the YouTube channel. As you know, we have a promise from management. And they're standing all around us right now, as it turns out, that when we hit 100K, big things and big news on the way. So thank you so much for being tuned in. I want to dive right into the show. Breaking news this morning. We're walking out of the hotel. We're headed over here to Redondo High for the Elite 11 Finals. And there it is. First you hear whispers. Then you get texts from a buddy or two. Then you see a cryptic tweet from folks like Brady Quinn. And there's the news. USC, UCLA, headed to the Big Ten. So I want to bring Brady Quinn in right now. His debut on Lake Kick. It's not a guest-driven show, but I think today we can make an exception. So, Brady, first off, welcome in. Secondly, how did this news greet you this morning? Uh, first off, thank you for having me. I've been waiting for a long time for this opportunity, Josh. Uh, obviously, watch your show, big fan. Um, as far as the news today, it surprised me. It didn't shock me. And I think in part because of how we got here, right? And really, to me, this goes before Texas and Oklahoma decided to make the move to the SEC, which looks to be in 2025. To me, this honestly started around COVID. And, and I think what we saw, not only just from school to school, as many schools were running in a deficit, um, they started to look at their their accounting, their inventory, and going, you know, we, we, we need those students back. You know, Everyone's kind of being hit hard right now. I think we all did that individually or as families. And a lot of people yeah. started to kind of look out for themselves first before they looked out for, for other people first. And I think you're starting to see that now, finally, with what Texas and Oklahoma did, but now with what USC and UCLA have done in regards to saying, I don't care about my conference affiliation. I need to make sure that I'm going to be taken care of. I'm going to be good for the for the foreseeable future. And I think that's what's led us to this point right now, where you're starting to see bigger brands, bigger schools that are important to those respective conferences look for a safe place, safe haven. And that's the Big Ten right now in the SEC. You, you said a mouthful there, and I want to go back because I don't want to just gloss this over. You know as well as I do, and you guys travel the country, and you're working with Fox on Saturdays, so you're in the Pac-12 a lot, you're in the Big Ten a lot. When that went down, when COVID went down the way it did, I'm not talking about the way it was handled politically, but the way it was handled inside college athletics, there was this reverberation, and there was this kind of writing down on a piece of paper and putting in a pocket how we got handled, how we got treated, conference to conference, team to team. And I, I guarantee you heard the same thing I did. And that was, this may look like it's over right now, but the wheels don't turn overnight in this sport. There will be consequences to pay down the road. I, I heard it even in the SEC 
And the SEC was viewed as one of the more wide-open leagues during that whole thing. They were adamant we're going to play, and it wasn't like that across the country. But so now we fast forward, and it's 2022. No one's talking about COVID with college football anymore. But yet you and I were talking earlier today, and I want to kind of dive into that again. This thing did not happen overnight. These moves of this size don't happen overnight. And maybe it's never one specific thing that leads to it, but that is part of the layer to this snowball. And it's also tied into, quite frankly, poor leadership. I mean, I don't know whether we want to name names or not, but people on the West Coast, I'm in L.A. right now, uh, they would be very upfront with you if this mic was off and that camera was off, and they would say, this guy, this guy, this guy, maybe it's at the conference level or program level, they put us in a position to where our hand was forced and we had to make the move. It's so crazy, though, is it not, to see this stuff line up, and then when it happens on a day like today, you start going in reverse 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, it's, it's like a movie plot at the end of the movie. You can kind of see it all play out, and you go, okay, this kind of makes sense now. I think if you're just talking about the Pac-12 from the conference standpoint, it obviously points back to Larry Scott. Um, I don't know that he ever put any of the Pac-12 institutions in a good spot um, for, for as far as their, their TV distribution standpoint. And, and, and you can make the case he inherited a tough situation, but to not be able to really take advantage of the entire West Coast, you're talking about some big-time media markets, it hurt. You know, it hurt the ability and really capped, I think, you know, what the Pac-12 was able to generate from their TV revenue. And then on top of that, obviously, the Pac-12 network that you can not really describe other than being a big-time failure. And that obviously points directly to Larry Scott. But you can't let Southern Cal off the hook either. The bottom line is it comes from the top. Their athletic directors, whether it was Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, you could even talk about just the direction of that school, you know, coming off of the Pete Carroll um, you know, final years where obviously he had as good of a run of success as any college football coach in, in college football history. The reality is, though, is they got caught for some of the things they were doing that, uh, you know, were illegal and, and they got popped for it and they had to kind of serve their time, but they never were able, ever, ever to able build it back up. And whether you want to point out the athletic directors or the president, not, you know, not, not making that as big of an issue or, or, or really making it as important as it needed to be, not just for Southern Cal, but I think for the entire West Coast in the Pac-12. And if you really think about it, no one's looked at the Pac-12 and football in the West Coast the same probably since USC in that run where they were dominant with Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush, two guys I, I work with, I have a good relationship with. I don't think we've quite looked at them the same. Now, Oregon kind of had their period of time in that run. But even then, you know, the first college football playoff, they get you know physically beat up versus Ohio State, and that was pretty much it. With that, with the exception of the opening drive uh, of, of Washington, you know, taking on Alabama in a semifinal game, and the rest is history. So uh, that's been the tough part, I think. Is this has been building up for quite some time, and I think USC, with all the moves they've made this offseason, you know, bringing in Lincoln Riley, you know, getting players in the transfer portal to come to USC, uh, I think they realized even that wouldn't be enough. Like even as good of a season as they could have in the Pac-12, it still won't be enough to change the perception of USC and the Pac-12 and the national landscape of college football. And I think that has a lot to do with this particular move and how we got here. You know what's crazy is, like, you played at Notre Dame. That's not a long time ago. And I grew up, and that's not all that long ago, and even as recently as my adolescence, people refer to Midwestern football. People refer to West Coast football. And like today, it's someone just pressed a button and all of a sudden UCLA is going to play a conference game in East Lansing, Michigan. Penn State is going to play a conference game in the Coliseum 
in L.A. And that's not even to speak of, obviously, the moves that have been made in the SEC, the moves that could still be made. I mean, we have no clue what's about to happen with Oregon. I'm going to ask you about Notre Dame in a second, but I want to stick on this first. For a long time, you and I grew up, uh, you played the game at a high level. We knew college football to be kind of territorial, and it was kind of geographic in nature. All that's out the window now, man. It's it's kind of in this sense no different than the pro game. If you're in, if if you're a Charger, you could be playing in New York this week. Uh, you could be playing in Seattle the next week. I don't know what that does, but I'll ask you because you played the highest profile position in the sport. How does that change the way you look at your game and modeling your game? And if you're an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, how you go about tactically preparing for a game? Yeah, I think when you look at the contrast of style of football and maybe with the exception of Ohio State, uh, because they've had one of the more prolific passing attacks. I mean, that's been the MO of USC. I mean, we could talk about the lull that they've had as far as success, but it's not like they haven't had a recent first-round drafted quarterback or or first-round drafted wide receiver. Uh, You don't have to look far. I mean, every single year, USC is pumping out skill players and quarterbacks, regardless of their team success. You still know that that's not a, a, a poor spot or a weak spot for that team. Um, you look across the Big Ten, different story. You know, they're great up front. You're talking about big men, offensive linemen at Wisconsin and Iowa and Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan State, teams that are pumping them out year after year after year. Uh, not quite the same as what you're seeing at Southern Cal. So I just think that contrast of matchup, what you're recruiting, the style of play you're playing to drastically changes uh, for USC. And, and really for, you know, I think most of the Big Ten, you know, they kind of look, they're probably going to look at USC similar to Ohio State, I just think without the horses up front. Um, so there's no doubt that plays into, especially at a pro level, how you're going to play against your divisional opponents, uh, your, your rivals, if you will, how you match up. you got to win your division in order to be successful. Well, if you want to win your conference, especially in this future Big Ten conference we're talking about, if USC wants to be a piece of it, you got to you got to knock out of Ohio State. I know Michigan won it last year. We'll see what they come back with this year. But even then, look at how Michigan did it. Running game and dominant defense. Now, you look at Ohio State, they're always going to have a running game. And, and maybe last year was part of the reason why they didn't have as much success versus Michigan or in the Big Ten, because they didn't have that dominant defense. But that's really what they've hung their hat on, along with the passing attack and wide receivers and all of that. So I, I do think that's an interesting twist as far as you know building your roster, what you're going to recruit in order to have success and have a shot. But I think what you talked about is you know really the powers that be are looking at this more as a pro model. And, and I think they're looking at the landscape of saying, we have the Big Ten now that we play you know, games from the D.C. area or the Jersey Shore all the way to the West Coast. And that is big time for TV ratings, viewership, generating more revenue from, from those aspects of it. I think from alumni contributions, when you think about the fact that there's a lot of Big Ten alumni around the West Coast. And they're probably not waking up early to watch some of those early games, or, or maybe they are, but now they've got a reason to. Because they got rivals sitting there in, in, in L.A. with USC and UCLA and vice versa. You know, that, those West Coast folks might have said, I don't need to watch the Big Ten at noon, right? It's 9 a.m. here. It's too early for me. I don't need to watch this kickoff. Now they do. You know, now they do because they, they want to watch their competition. They want to watch their team. Uh, but I think that's the biggest probably question mark, too, is how do the, how do the teams adapt to the, to the time zone change, the travel? Um, that's one of my biggest questions is having to play a noon game when you're a West Coast team and it's 9 a.m., local time for you that's changing your internal clock that body clock and then vice versa you might have some really really late games right that these big 10 schools that are on east coast time coming all the way across the country got to pay play at you know 10 p.m local or whatever the case may be so uh, that adjustment i think for players along with some of the roster building and the matchups we're talking about 
that's a huge piece, I think, moving forward as far as the success for any of these institutions we're, we're mentioning. All right, dude. I know you've done a whole lot of hits today, TV, radio. I can't even imagine how stretched thin you've been. But here's what I want you to do. I want, I want you to take that eye, Brady, and I want you to take us inside those super exclusive Notre Dame group texts. When this stuff broke this morning and everybody from coast to coast said, oh, this is going to force Notre Dame's hand, how did, uh, how did you guys, how did Irish Nation react? It's funny. You get both sides of it, and I see both sides of it. There were some people who said, man, this puts us in a great position. Who's a more valued, desired brand in school right now than Notre Dame? And that's not just you know for the ACC, which everyone seems to think that that's like a natural fit because of their soft affiliation and the other sports outside of football that are a part of the ACC. Uh, but no one seems to look at the Big Ten and go, well, wait, wait a second. Doesn't this make the most sense? I mean, that's the conference that's going to be able to pay you the most with the new TV rights deal coming up. That's the conference that most represents probably what you'd like to do from a scheduling standpoint. I mean, you're independent. And there's been years where they've literally played games in New York's, you know, Yankee Stadium on the East Coast, you know, in Chicago, then in LA, or playing up versus Stanford up in Northern California. You've hit all, you know, all three spots along the way. Only the Big Ten's gonna offer you that as a conference. So I actually think as you look down the road, as far as where Notre Dame would potentially join if they felt the need to. And I think, honestly, it has to, it has to come down to two powers, you know, superpower conferences or power conferences, however you want to describe it. I think it has to come down to that and really where it doesn't leave them an opportunity to make it to the college football playoff or to be able to have the sort of revenue that they're looking to generate on their own as an independent. If that comes to fruition, I think the Big Ten makes the most sense for a fit. Um, but again, there's still, you know, the the soft agreement with the ACC right now, and they NBC Sports still has the rights, and so those things have to be sorted out over the next few years. But to be honest with you, Josh, I, I really see both sides of it. I can see it where we can be a very desired, valued commodity, but I can also see where there could be a landscape that all of a sudden is changing all around you, and they're forced into a situation, and maybe they're not re- maybe they're not necessarily ready to make that decision to join a conference. Let me get you out of here on this. I look at where we are now. And I look at where the sport, I don't know where it's going to be in five years. I, don't, I, t- I didn't know where it was going to be this time yesterday, as it turns out. So, I mean, you, you cover this thing now, but you played it, but you grew up and you, you eat and sleep and breathe it kind of like I do. And so you love it. And, and you look at it and what it's becoming, and it's kind of unpredictable in the future. I, I mean, when I was growing up down in Georgia, I came to love the tradition-rich aspect of college football. Like, I loved that there was a difference between what I saw on Sunday and what I saw on Saturday. And then some small changes started to happen, and I was able to stomach it because I understand for the greater good of the sport, you know, you want to grow it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I'll check that box. But, I mean, the term slippery slope comes to mind so quickly, and there are some people who love where we're headed, and I'm not – Hey, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong or I'm right. It's just a difference of opinion. But I kind of want to get where your head's at on this. Like when you look at where we were 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago now, and then you look ahead 5, 10, 15, do you like where we are and where we're headed? And where do you think we're headed? Well, I think we're headed to really a pro model. I mean, that's what it looks like. And that's what it feels like right now. It's just we don't want to call it that, right? I mean, we're looking at the transfer portal and we're calling it transfer portal. Look, the reality is it's free agency, folks. That's what it is. The transfer portal is free agency. And then when you combine it with NIL, which is hilarious to me, like we make up this new term, name, image, and likeness. You know where that always existed? At the professional level, where you were doing marketing deals. And everyone was writing it into a contract, but no one needed to call it or identify it as 
NIL, but it's like that's how we have to identify it for the college football, the you know the amateur student athletes, so they can earn compensation for it. It's a pro model. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. Um, you know, it's it's going to feel clunky. It's not going to feel great on the way there. I think for a lot of us who are traditionalists, um, those who who valued the education, that was enough. I came back to finish my college education because. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to earn that degree. I didn't want to have to worry about going playing and coming back. Um, all those things were enough. The rivalries, the tradition behind it, the bowl games. I mean, we played and play a national championship. We played in BCS games, and that sure as heck was enough for me. So um, all of that, I, I think it doesn't sit well. But the truth of the matter is, the money has gotten so ridiculously out of hand between the TV revenue that's generated, um, the stadiums you're seeing built out around you, coaches now making ten million dollars a year. And, and the players are the ones who, you know, just recently in the past few years got unlimited meals, right? And don't have to jump through some of these hoops that I think a lot of student athletes have to jump through. Uh, and so I think it's only right we, we get there. It just might take a little while and it might feel a little clunky and uncomfortable until we get there. But that's where we're headed. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like, and I mentioned earlier, you know, two power conferences. Because if you look at every professional sports league, that's what we have. We don't have another special sports league. We've got all these other power five conferences or power four, power three. We have two. And I think it's going in that direction. It's just a matter of time until we get there. And then and then who oversees it, right? Who's going to provide the governance? Are these you know student athletes going to be able to unionize like you see at the NFL level or in other pro sports? There's still all those questions ahead. Um, I, I just, I hope we don't lose sight of college football and how we got to that point. And we still keep some of the things that that make it special and make it what it is. I think for you and I and, and all the other people who have come to enjoy uh, college football for what it is and the traditions that that go along with it. Brady Quinn, one of us. That's why we brought you on, brother. Gentleman and a scholar as always. I appreciate you taking some time. We will see you uh, very soon, actually. We're a couple of months away, man, so we'll see you on the sideline this fall. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Josh. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we got a couple of Q&As that I want to do, and then we're going to get out of here. But uh, I could not have made this trip without Academy Sports and Outdoors. I just got to be real with you. Uh, there is a lot of there's a lot of equipment all around us right now, uh, but there's a lot in my bag that got stocked up on last minute from Academy Sports and Outdoors. You know they are your outdoor sporting goods supplier. You know that you can go there for all the sporting goods needs. But did you know you can go there for, like, a travel bag? Did you know you can get a cooler there? Did you know you can get a grill there? Well, yeah, you can. You can get it all. Fishing trip this weekend, go there. Camping trip this weekend, tents, go there. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they make this show possible. This is not a NASCAR set. There are not 47 advertisers here. It's Academy Sports and Outdoors. They make this show free to you. They make it able where we can do 
stuff like this. We're in Los Angeles right now, for crying out loud. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, make them your one-stop shop. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com has your hookup for all your outdoor sporting goods supplies. All right, let's dive into the mailbag right quick, and then we've got a flight to catch, although I'm told it's delayed just a little bit. But we've got a flight to catch. So let's dive in right now, and I want to kind of have some West Coast flavor here since we are, after all, in L.A. We had a question from one of you, and that was, do people in Los Angeles want USC back? We've been out here this week. What's been the vibe? And the answer is a definitive yes. Now, this is not a small southern town. This is not Columbia, South Carolina. It's not Tuscaloosa. So when you're here, no, you could walk several city blocks and not run into a USC fan decked out head to toe. But, man, it's a massive brand here, and it's a massive brand within college football. I think that we had Ryan Abraham, for example, one of the guys from uscfootball.com, which is our USC team site, and he was talking about what kind of bombshell this was today for USC and what they've needed for so long. The fan base has been hungry, but in a big city like this, you can kind of get apathetic. You hear people say it all the time, but they say it because it's true. There is so much to do here. And so if you see, if USC's not delivering for you, you know, I'll come back when they're good. Uh, yeah, they desperately want to be good. It's not fiction. When you watch that footage from the early 2000s, when Pete Carroll was doing what he was doing here, it's not fiction, it's real life. And it's not that the blueprint doesn't exist anymore. We saw a lot of Southern California kids at Elite, at Elite 11 this week. Uh, keep them home and win with them. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's a lot easier said than done. But yeah, they, they want it to happen. And then also, when you have a move like this, which we're talking about today with USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, man, if you don't have your hand forced at that point and you don't get your ducks in a row, then you'll get left behind. I can assure you that Ohio State's not going to lose any sleep if USC doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. The checks are cashing one way or the other. They're getting a high-profile game and a win on their resume one way or the other. My sneaking suspicion is that Lincoln Riley's household was one of the happiest in the entire Southern California area today. Uh, it's not that Oklahoma won't be a high-profile program in the SEC, but how could this have worked out any better for him? You come here, uh, you've got talent already ready to come in, you leverage the transfer portal. Those two mechanisms will always work to your advantage because you are USC and you are uniquely capable of taking advantage of that. But now you no longer have to wake up every morning with the lingering question that's outside of your control of what is the future of our conference. And it's been the talk for a while that there were a few programs out there behind the scenes that were trying to make moves. And everyone always thought, oh, they must be talking about Clemson or Florida State, and they may very well be. But they were always talking about this one. They were always talking about the University of Southern California. So, yes, they want it. Just because you don't hear it every day and just because it's not uh, continuously trending on Twitter doesn't mean they don't want it. So, yes, absolutely that's the case. Uh, let's dive in here for one more. Uh, th this is really funny because there's always this question of whether someone's arrived or not. So I got the question, Georgia just won the title, but have they really arrived? And I guess the context was when we talk about Bama, they've won multiples. When we talk about Clemson, they've won multiples. So Georgia just won one. They don't have multiples. What? Who's to say they're not a flash in the pan? Well, I am one person to say that. I've been wrong before. It may very well happen again, but I'm not wrong about this. So yeah, Georgia's arrived, and Georgia was there before they just won the title, which kind of sounds counterintuitive if you define arriving as winning a title or winning multiple titles. But guys, I don't need to take you back that far now. If you're running a program at a high level, 
what you're trying to do is get yourself in position to compete for one every year. There's a lot of luck and bounces of balls that have to go your way. You want to be in position every year. Kirby's had his program in position since 2017. They're in overtime of a national championship game. I know you remember second 26. I know you remember all that. The point is, like, you change one play here or there in overtime, it's a different outcome. Uh, general rule of thumb, if you're good enough to get to overtime of a national title game, your program's probably operating at plenty high enough level. But then, for some reason, people saw that and still were unconvinced. And 2018 happens, and the, the simple fact is, if Nick Saban and Alabama aren't in the way, Kirby's got one or two titles already. 2019, LSU's the buzzsaw. 2020, Bama's the buzzsaw. 2021, Georgia never dipped off. It's not like Georgia went back to seven-win seasons. They never were there to begin with. But how do you define a rival? Is it really as simple as looking at a trophy case and how many crystal balls or whatever that new trophy is they have? How many of those do you have? And we'll just wait. Like, I think it's a little more nuanced than that. Uh, if that's the case, you know, Baylor will never arrive. A program like Iowa State could never arrive. I would define both of those programs as having arrived. But on the grand scale, the tier one scale, absolutely Georgia's arrived. Do you invest at a maximum level? They do. Do you recruit at the highest level possible? They do. Do you invest at the highest level possible? They do. Do you have high-level facilities? They do, and they upgrade them year over year. What does your roster look like? Are you a desirable product? Are you an attractive program? Where is your no? Like, where, where are your, where, where's your red X as opposed to the green check? So, yeah, Georgia's absolutely arrived. We arrived here three or four days ago. Uh, now we have to tear all this down, and we have to depart from here. But, guys, I sincerely appreciate you making this possible, you know, wasn't that long ago we were down in Columbus, Georgia, and we didn't even know if the lights were going to come on. And now we can take the show on the road whenever we want to. So uh, I actually just got told by a lovely voice in my ear, we have hit 100,000 subscribers. So, hey, management's clapping even as we speak. Now we'll see what they have in store for us. So, guys, sincerely now, thank you for that. We didn't necessarily time it up to where that would happen here, but it did. Um, it's, it's really only scratching the surface of what we're capable of. And there's a lot more to come. I will be very excited, obviously, to tell you about it in due time when I can. But we have a lot of big plans for the show. So if you've been here from the beginning, thank you. If you're just tuning in now, we think this is the one-stop shop for all your college football needs. Thank you so much to our entire crew here and you guys at home for making this possible. I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back live from Nashville Sunday night. Until then, take care and God bless. begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 